Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. I want to speak to you this morning about collaboration, the power of two over one, the power of doing things together with others rather than trying to do things all by ourselves. Collaboration was not a word that I was familiar with growing up, but we lived a collaborative lifestyle like many of you did that represent my generation. Any of you growing up borrowing a cup of sugar from the neighbors? What happened to that? Now you don't even know who your neighbors are. Every parent in the neighborhood could discipline me. It was not fair. You could get away with nothing because we, our parents just clobbered each other's kids. And that was okay. In fact, I remember my mother thanking my neighbor for smacking me when she saw me doing I, I thought, I can't believe my mother thanked another woman for, for spanking me. I, I don't get this. What is going on? And, and that is such a... Now somebody would be in jail for laying a hand on another person's child. In the, in the uh, Native American Indian culture, they say it takes a whole village to raise a child. They, they raise kids by a collaborative spirit. In the Indian tribal understanding of how we all pitch in and look after each other's kids. But of course, the more we have grown and the more we have become separate and live in our own worlds, the more I think we've lost some of that in our upbringing and in this recent generation until some things I've seen in this last few years that give me great hope for a whole new level of collaboration that's going on all around the world. Our future depends on collaboration. What you saw here this morning, the whole conference that we've just experienced is pulled off by collaboration. Me standing here is in fact collaboration in front of you. I didn't carry this on myself. You wouldn't hear me without this. You wouldn't see me without these lights. You'd be on the floor if there was no seats. You'd have nowhere to park your cars if we hadn't put a car park out there and have people parking your vehicles, keeping an eye on them. There'd be nowhere for your kids to be dropped off. Within the heart of teamwork is this understanding of collaboration. And I'm using this word as opposed to networking. I'm not talking about networking. Networking is trying to connect with people to further your agenda, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But collaboration is a higher level of connectivity. Collaboration is building relationships with people who will benefit from your harvest and, and who you will benefit from their harvest. And so collaboration is about we want you to succeed because when you succeed, I do. And when I succeed, you do. Collaboration is about sharing excess harvest with each other and the commitment to do things together better than we can separately. Collaboration is all over the word of God. It's the word itself is not there, but the spirit of it, the practice of it, the culture of it is there. The miracle that Elisha helped the widow that ran out of resources and her kids were been taken into slavery. In those days, they didn't just repossess the furniture, they repossessed the children, which some of you wouldn't mind, I know, but... <laughs> and she was distraught, as you can imagine. Her husband was one of the school of the prophets of Elisha and he died with huge debts. Which just proves the point, even men of God are not necessarily good with money. 
And the creditors came, and she was in a dilemma, and she appealed to Elisha, her, her husband's leader, her husband's pastor, if you like. And he said, what do you have in your house? And she said, well, nothing except a little bit of oil, and you know the story. And he said, well, I want you to, to do something. I want you to go around your community and ask your neighbors for vessels, and don't ask for a few, ask for tons, and then, then, then shut the door behind you and start pouring that little in every vessel. Maybe she not understanding fully what was about to unfold. In fact, she clearly didn't because when she ran out of vessels, she shouted to her son who helped to collect them, get some more vessels, knowing that the oil hadn't run out. And he said, we've got no more. And then the oil stopped. She probably wished then she'd got more vessels and gone to the wider neighborhood. But the point is this, supposing when Elisha said that to her, she said to him, problem, I don't get on with the neighbors. So, so this part of this thing's not going to happen. There's maybe a couple of neighbors that might lend me a pot or a pan, but I don't have a good flow with the neighbors. See, we're Christians and we walk around the neighborhood judging people and uh, you know, we let them know that what we stand for. And we correct them when we hear them swear or, or tell a dirty joke or we make them feel bad for going down the pub at night. And, you know, but you know, we've stood for Jesus. So now you're asking me to go reach to the neighbors. I'm sorry, but the neighbors, I would be their worst nightmare if I came to the door. In other words... Her miracle was as much collaboration as it was anything God did sovereignly. And if she'd have built no life of collaboration and her husband had had no friendships in the community, on that day, her miracle would have been as small as whatever was in her own house. Jesus lived a collaborative lifestyle. He had friends that loaned him boats and houses and rooms and resources and donkeys or transportation, we could say. He even had someone that loaned him a tomb. Jesus built a lifestyle. We don't know who these people are, but he knew people that he built friendships with, maybe while he was working in Nazareth in his dad's business, and they were collaborating to build up the carpentry business, and he got to know people who he befriended and stayed lifelong friends with. And when he needed things for his ministry, they were seemingly already there in place to provide him with things that he needed for his time of public ministry. The early church thrived on collaboration. As you know, they laid their resources at the apostles' feet. They sold land and they sold homes and they made it available to those that didn't have anything. And the haves shared with the have-nots. And it was a collaborative culture in the early church that enabled them to sustain themselves through difficult times. Solomon built the temple through collaborations his father had built before him with other governments and other governments had agreed treaties with his dad to, to provide timber and provide craftsmen and provide skilled people so that when Solomon came to build the temple, David had lined all of that up for his son to not fret about how will we do this. It was all laid on. Collaboration is throughout the Word of God. And I tell you this because in the church we have not been great at this historically. And that's why many churches have gone from relevant to relic like those two words follow each other in the dictionary, by the way. If you look at relevant, the next word in the dictionary is relic. It's scary. Because they just don't belong on the same page. And yet they follow each other through history. And the church often has gone from relevant to relic because we keep reinventing the wheel when the world's already gone supersonic. <clears throat> we pride ourselves on doing things the old-fashioned way and the old-fashioned hymns and the old-fashioned way that we set out church and and, and God's like, you, you need to get with the times. You need, to, you need to get into 21st century. And you need to bring, you know, we're not changing the product, we're not changing the message, but we are committed to constantly presenting Christ in a way 
that is commensurate with the generation and, and with the locality even, as forensic as that, and the neighborhood that we are doing life and doing church in. But we have not been good at that. We believe that to change some of the things is to compromise the things that really matter. When the truth is in church life, very few things really, really matter to that extent. <clears throat> and we've made things sacred that God doesn't even care about. Because their methods and their styles and their personalities and their ideas that were good for a time, but we don't need to keep running it all our lives. And we've committed here about 10 years ago to build that kind of relevant 21st century church, kind of whatever the cost, and, 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 and there has been great cost to that, and there will be great cost to you to let go of your, to let go of your sacred cows, to let go of things that just make church church for you. And you've got to decide, is church really any worse without that? Am I a lesser person without that? Am I going to miss out on God without that? And the truth is, hand on heart, you're probably going to say, well, actually, no, I'm upset. I don't like it. I prefer it. Exactly. And everybody in this room has preferences for what we'd rather have. Some people enjoyed that um, busking moment we just had. <laughs> Some people didn't like it and felt it was very unspiritual. We should have maybe sang a hymn in that spot there. Because that's more what you feel makes church bona fide. And the truth is that there's no one size fits all. But what we're trying to do, what governs us, the overarching premise of all that we do, shouldn't be our personal foibles and preferences, but should be our customers. Because by their millions, they're staying away from church in this country. So, <laughs> our customers really are the ones that are going to govern relevance, not us. We can say, well, we love worship, we love prayer, we love great preaching. The unchurched people don't. They will learn to. They will grow to love the things that we love, but that cannot be our point of contact with them. We need to find out what their language is and what the common bridge of interests are and so on. Okay, that's a little bit of an overview. Give you some scriptural basis for collaboration so you don't think I'm totally unspiritual. And you don't think I'm telling you something that is completely non-biblical. This is completely non-biblical. Give me the old, you know, time religion. <laughs> And I want to drop you into 21st century with this collaboration idea because there is massive, massive collaboration going on all around the world and I don't want us to be ignorant of it or miss out on it. Let me start with this. Has anyone heard of, and I'm doing some, I'm doing some uh, PowerPoint presentation today. Thank you. Hold your excitement till later. If this goes well, it was down to me. If it goes bad, it's one of those people back there that we just agreed to blame each other or give each other the credit. Anyone heard of homeexchange.com? Homeexchange.com is a phenomenal idea. It's people around the world that post their homes online for you to swap your house with theirs and have a vacation free. You can go anywhere in the world you want to go because every nation in the world is represented on this exchange site. And you put your house on there, and then you post the countries you'd like to have a vacation in, and you look for people that want to have a vacation where you are, and they find you, and you find them, and then they email you, and they say to you, we'd like to come and stay in your house for two weeks in June, and you don't have to necessarily go and stay at the same time at their house, you can bank it and use it some other time. And there's all kinds of, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking on this, there's all kinds of, there's apartments in Beijing, our home is we just put our home into the mix of this and I know Steve and Charlotte have done some of this and some others in here, Jock and Shirley have had about 10 vacations on this and 
Have you, had, have you had anybody use your house yet? Let's look at something straight here. What part of exchange don't you two get? You're inventing a whole new thing here. Home, homeuser.com. It's an amazing idea. <clears throat> this year, for the first time, Glendon and I did a home exchange in, in America. And it was a bit weird at first, sleeping in someone else's bed and thinking someone else is in our bed. You know, that kind of thing, it's like a stranger. We never, you never meet these people. It's all done by email. When they arrive, you're probably gone. And when they arrive, you're gone. And if you, don't, you don't see them. You think, and when you get back, they've gone. It's like, who was that masked? <laughs> User of my home. <clears throat> so after the first few days of being in a home I didn't know, and you know, the family pictures are there, and I don't know these people are on the pictures. I don't know who they are. And using their home and their TV and their stuff. After a couple of days of like feeling uncomfortable, and three days in of feeling uncomfortable, I'm beginning to get over it because I'm realizing how much money I'm not spending. <laughs> on a hotel. And if you look at this website, there are mansions on here. This is not for people who can't afford a hotel. It's for people who realize hotels are very restricting. You're cooped up in your room. You can't go and make yourself a meal or come and go as you please or you have to park your car miles away. Everybody that does anything for you has the handout for a tip. Yeah. It's not the same to live in a home. It's like a home from home idea. And some of these homes on there are phenomenal. So, I mean, I should be on commission now, by the way. <laughs> but this home exchange idea, I realized when we experimented with this and we did this, that it's the very tip of this huge iceberg all over the world of collaborative exchanges that are going on across the world in all kinds of spheres of life. People are swapping and sharing and lending and borrowing and serving and redistributing stuff all across the world through social network sites. Talk about collaboration. It has been named collaborative consumption. In other words, Consumption, the nature of the way people consume goods, has completely changed from when many of us started consuming goods and grew up with. And it's the emerging expression is homeexchange.com and other things I'll show you in this amazing PowerPoint presentation this morning. <laughs> it's my self-talk. It is the emerging expression of Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and all of that culture that's going on all the time as we sit here, all around the world, people are connecting, they never meet each other, don't know each other, but this massive swapping of resources and information and ideas is taking place all around the world. Many of you are at a stage of life where you're open to a new idea, you've got time on your hands, and something collaborative may be the next stage for you to find fulfillment in and through your life. And there are many uh, women in our church and some women here from Cherish, and maybe women sometimes make better collaborators than men. Maybe you're more open. Hang on a minute. Don't get carried away. Could have been a bit more subtle then. True. And men are great collaborators too. Her true was better than all of our ye. Anthropologists tell us, my next slide please. 
Well, that wasn't that seamless, was it? But next slide, please. But anyway, it's there. Anthropologists tell us that creation itself is wired for collaboration. The dolphins hunt in pods. Sometimes thousands of them have been known to collaborate together to, to corral fish into one area and then they all come up underneath the fish and have a feast. And one dolphin couldn't do that and two dolphins couldn't do that. And so dolphins that do not live together, that are from separate pods, see I got the language down, separate pods, not a herd, not a swarm, but a pod, collaborate together and meet at a certain part of the ocean so that they can eat better than they could in their own pod or they could individually. And we know that bees collaborate together to create honey and to look after the queen bee and to make sure that she gets to do her thing and she continues to breed. And we know that birds operate together collaborati collaborati collaboratively <laughs> in swarms, not pods. And ants, ants are amazing. Ants are the most collaborative creatures on the planet. Even Solomon said, go and learn from the ant. Ants are amazing. The wisest man that ever lived got a lot of his wisdom from watching ants. What did you do today? <laughs> Watched ants for a few hours. Not an, not an exciting Twitter, is it? I watched, I watched some ants the other day carrying dead ants. I thought, why would you carry around dead ants? Like dead people, right? why would you carry? And then I googled it when I got home. <clears throat> and ants carry out dead ants so that the dead bodies don't cause disease in the ant hill. <laughs> or whatever you call an ant's house. And they take them so far away that there can be no contamination of where they live. How smart is that? It's like we bury our dead under the ground or we cremate them so that we, we don't have the same problem. And ants do that. And a dead ant, an ant carrying a dead colleague, friend, family member, somewhere to bury it and put it away. It's just amazing. It's innate in them. Ants are amazing collaborative creatures. I was just amazed recently when I heard from someone in our church about <clears throat> Ford Motor Company that have, that have contracted an ant specialist at Oxford University to study ants to tell them how to sell more cars. And what he showed them and what they're using is that he showed them that when ants find some food over here and the, the nest is back here, when ants find some food over here, which is a few meters but it's miles for an ant, instead of the ant eat it and go back home and pretend it didn't find any food today like we would do, <laughs> it has a little nibble and then it leaves what's called a pheromone trail from the food all the way back to the nest. Have you ever seen ants walking in a straight line and think, how do they do that, where they're going? They're following a pheromone trail that's been laid the width of an ant, so they're walking at that little band towards the food. That's how they locate food, these pheromone, invisible pheromone trails. And <clears throat> the ant expert told that to Ford Company. Ford Company put pheromone trails, as it were, into their software system. So that if you go downtown today and buy a Ford and you decide you want to buy green and the guy in Scotland's buying green and the guy in London's buying green, it seems that everybody's buying green at the moment. And with no reference to a human being, the software system in Ford is linked as a brain and when the car's coming down the production line to be sprayed, it changes from what it was going to be to green. <clears throat> because it's being told green is popular, do it green. There's no person changing it. It is the corporate brain around the country following the pheromone trails of purchasing habits to spray a car green, knowing it will sell better than if we were going to do blue, which might have been what was popular 
last month. How amazing. They're still going to the ant and learning things. So next time you see an ant, don't step on it. Let's give some respect to the ant. <clears throat> well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.